Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 312th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, brought to you today by the American Health Information Association, AHIMA, as we know them. And joining me this morning as my co-host is Bonnie Cassidy. Bonnie is a well-known HIMA executive, and she's the past president of AHIMA. Bonnie is also the recipient of the 2014 Distinguished Member Triumph Award from AHIMA, and Bonnie is co-hosting today as Dr. Eric Arima continues to be on a well-deserved vacation. Good morning, Bonnie. Welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday. Thank you, Chuck. It's wonderful to be here, and we've got a great panel of speakers this morning, so this is exciting. It really is. And uh, Bonnie, as you probably know, February is American Heart Month, and in recognition of this national focus, our lead story this morning is how coding for myocardial infarction is being impacted in 2018. And there are now five types of myocardial infarction code categories. Indeed. And uh, joining the broadcast as our special guest this morning will be author and educator Terry Fletcher. Terry's going to report on how these new options uh, will impact reimbursement. Yes, and cardiology is a timely and very important subject for coders and clinical documentation integrity specialists. You're right. And speaking of coders and coding, we're celebrating President's Day a week early. We're honored to have two of the most prominent past presidents of HEMA on today's broadcast. Charlotte Smith, a HEMA past president, will have the Talk 10 Tuesday CDI report. Looking forward to that. And the legendary Rose Dunn, another distinguished past president, will have the ICD-11 report, if you can believe that. And joining us later on the broadcast will be the 2018 AHIMA president, Diane Smith. She will offer her vision on AHIMA in 2018. Looking forward to her report. And uh, we have healthcare news to report, and for that we check in with Dr. Larry Field, who's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University, inviting you to register now to learn more about HCCs during a webcast by Rose Dunn, Wednesday, February 21st. Here now is Dr. Larry Field. Good morning, Chuck. Thanks for having me again, representing the American College of Physician Advisors. News this week, uh, found something interesting, which was a former quarterback for a local university and former NFL player uh, was sentenced to three months in jail and had to return about $400,000 in payments related to an issue with a pharmacy down in South Florida. He had been hired uh, as a sales representative uh, and was instructed to try to lure or direct, probably is a better word, patients to a specific pharmacy with uh, TRICARE or essentially the insurance that covers our current active uh, military members, former military members. As part of his uh, reimbursement for what he thought was a part-time job, he had it for four months, was $400,000. So in return for uh, giving that money back, he only received uh, three months in jail that he'll start serving in June. The interesting part is, uh, you know, how this ties. Medicine is, is very different than other uh, industries and in that directing people with certain insurance or uh, other forms of reimbursement to a specific facility um, is not really allowed unless the patient is uh, told up front. So we have an innocent that got probably uh, stuck in this case. 
And there are other cases that I've seen uh, doing reviews that we have probably that apply to cardiology. And we have cardiologists that are doing angioplasties after doing angiograms by just looking. And the state of the art is doing uh, FFRs or fractional flow reserves or a version of that called an IFR to validate the significance physiologically of those lesions. And the payers uh, that I've seen along with uh, Medicare are now looking at those to make sure that there's medical necessity behind doing uh, the angioplasty. So if you're in a facility that currently is not doing those, please talk to your interventional cardiologist about the appropriate times for those to be done, not because they're committing anything that's bad, but to protect themselves from someone else thinking that they are doing something bad. That's my news for today, Chuck. Back to you. Thank you, Dr. Field. That was Dr. Larry Field. Dr. Field is the treasurer of the American College of Physician Advisors. It's Tuesday, February 13th, and we're 13 days in Black History Month, and we salute all healthcare professionals of color. This is Talked in Tuesday. It's the 312th edition. Stand by. Talk 10 Tuesday is brought to you today by AHEMA. Now you can show them who's the boss of clinical documentation improvement. Bring your CDI skills to the forefront by earning AHEMA's Certified Documentation Improvement Practitioner Certification. Professionals who earn the CDIP credential distinguish themselves as knowledgeable and competent in patient health records. Join AHEMA on March 7th for the CDIP Advancing the Practice Exam Prep. This virtual session includes six self-paced on-demand webinars and one virtual interactive learning session. The webinars review the six domains covered in the exam. You'll also learn how to assess CDI workflow processes and how to develop effective physician queries. To learn more and to register, visit ahemastore.org and click on the Data Analytics topic area. Thank you, Clark. And as a program note, Dr. Erica Reamer will return to Talk 10 Tuesdays next Tuesday, February 20th. And I want to thank Bonnie Cassie for co-hosting these last two broadcasts. And now's the time for the Talk 10 Tuesday CDI report with the HEMAPAST president, Charlotte Smith-Barrett. Good morning, Chuck. At the University of Miami Health System, the Health Information Integrity Corporate Division strives for documentation integrity. That is, ensuring that clinical documentation is accurate, reliable, current, and consistent. Clinical documentation integrity specialists, coders, care coordinators, revenue integrity specialists, providers, and IT professionals now work together as a team sharing data and best practices to achieve our successes. In 2013, the CDI function was performed by only 2.5 FTEs and focused only on commercial Medicare inpatients. With I-10 implementation and Florida's Medicaid reimbursement change to APRDRGs, we expanded our approach to clinical documentation integrity. Today, UM has 11 inpatient and 4 outpatient CDISs whose backgrounds include medicine, nursing, and health information management. They review all payers and include focused outpatient services reviews. 
Our net revenue increased $11 million during our first year, and our focus moved to more concurrent interventions, such as forwarding potential PSIs and hacks to our case management quality teams. We encountered an aha moment when our revenue integrity team reported denials for high-volume, high-cost chemotherapy drugs. To address this revenue loss, we recruited a CDS professional to review concurrently all documentation occurring in our CTU outpatient unit and to round with you our coordinators, nurses, and the medical director. Revenue increased by 40%. UM's revenue cycle and health information integrity meetings resulted in additional initiatives to improve clinical documentation integrity. A workflow analysis of documentation flow from our cardiac cath lab application, dictation system, and our EHR resulted in the placement of a CDS in the cath lab, working with the technician and all providers, thus reducing bill hold days and denials. To support interventional radiology documentation and revenue capture, the Coding Integrity Division is comparing facility coding with profi coding. A CDS now meets with technicians, nurses, and physicians. The outcome is improved documentation, charge master updates, and reduced denials. The emergency department uses a CDS to review clinical documentation in collaboration with the sepsis and stroke clinical teams and care coordinators. A CDS now assigns prior to admission a DRG that properly captures the severity of the patient's condition. Coders experienced in HCC coding along with our CDI executive director, were also added to our uh, team meetings resulting in excellent STAR ratings. Weekly calls and monthly multidisciplinary meetings have resulted in a collaborative and transparent culture focused on documentation integrity rather than finding blame for denials, bill holds, and quality scores. Provider revenue integrity and health information integrity collaborations are critical for an organization's financial health. Back to you, Bonnie. Thank you, Charlotte. Wow, we could listen to that all day. What an outstanding program you created. That was Charlotte Smith-Barrett. Charlotte has the distinction of being the youngest ever AHIMA president. And most recently, as you can see, was the HI Integrity Division Corporate Assistant Vice President at UM. Charlotte's also the chair of the CAHIM board. Outstanding. And now another distinguished AHIMA past president is Rose Dunn. Rose has the Talk 10 Tuesday focus, and the focus today is ICD-11. Good morning, Rose. Welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, and happy Fat Tuesday to everyone. With the World Health Organization releasing ICD-11 in May of this year, we may need some adult Fat Tuesday beverages. They've been working on it since 2007 and it will have a significant impact on the coding for all specialties. Canada is already working on its adaptation, and more than 30 countries were involved in the ICD-11 field testing. So folks listening may wish to download the article I wrote. It's on the handout tab. One of whose goals for ICD-11 is that it will function in the electronic environment of EHRs, so the classification is really designed as a database and has up to 13 dimensions, 
Many of our EHRs are equipped with the SNOMED CT foundation upon which ICD-11 will link with its nomenclature of medicine and clinical terms. So the way we think about the code list needs to change, but I'm not going to try to explain the 13 dimensions today. ICD-11 will be multi-purposed, and the structure is defined in linearizations that incorporate properties and attributes with a focus on mortality, morbidity, degree of primary care, research, and public health. It is international and is translated into English, French, Spanish, Russian, Chinese, and Arabic. But the heartache for all of our coders is the codes. Just like with ICD-9, we have coding professionals that have memorized many ICD-10 codes. They know that the A and B codes tie to infectious conditions, often requiring antibiotics. C is in the cancer chapter. E is the endocrine chapter. And all CM codes start with a single alphabetical character, right? Well, poof, blow those memories away. There are 28 chapters in ICD-11, including two supplemental chapters. Codes have four, not three, characters before the decimal point, and from what I've seen, up to three after the decimal point. The first character is the chapter number for the single-digit chapters, but when you get to chapter 10, the first character is alphabetical. There's always a letter in the second position of the code to distinguish them from ICD-10 codes. Additionally, there's no alpha, I, or O codes. So remember I-10 meaning hypertension? Forget it. In ICD-11, it's BA00. Unspecifies also still exist. There are additional codes to help amplify the base code with laterality, anatomy, and to describe associated conditions or manifestations, or to further describe an injury like we do in ICD-10 today. Three of the ICD-11 new chapters include the extension codes. These are the X codes, which are supplementary to describe things like severity, tumor staging, presence on admission, how a condition was confirmed. These codes may be five alphanumeric characters. There's a traditional medicine chapter with SA and SB codes that refer to disorders and patterns which originated in ancient Chinese medicine. And then there's a V code chapter, which would be really great for HCCs, rehab, and, and skilled nursing facilities because they describe patients' functional status and disabilities. I suspect that many of the U.S. specialty groups that added a ton of codes to the virgin version of ICD-10 will find that this classification allows them to build codes that accurately describe conditions for billing purposes. The fact that ICD-11 is EHR compatible may expedite its implementation in the United States sooner than ICD-10. So, Bonnie, there will be a lot of changes for sure, and it's worth exposing our coders to some of the concepts now to establish a comfort level as we get closer to ICD-11 over the coming years. Thanks, Rose. That is a, a tremendous challenge now for our CDI and coding professionals, so it's a great time to be in the profession. That was AHIMA past president, Rose Dunn. Rose is the chief operating officer for First Class Solutions. Chuck? Thanks, Bonnie. And Rose, thank you very much. And a reminder, be sure to register now for Rose Dunn's HCC webcast. is coming your way Wednesday, February the 21st. 
This morning, Tucked In Tuesday is celebrating President's Day. I know it's about a week early. We're recognizing the past presidents of AHIMA. This morning, we're honored to have the 2018 AHIMA president and chair of the board of directors of AHIMA, Diane Smith. Good morning, Diane. Welcome to Tucked In Tuesday. What's your vision for AHIMA this year? Good morning, everyone, and thank you, uh, Chuck, for having me on the program uh, to have an opportunity to share with the audience this morning. Uh, I wanted everyone to know this year is the 90th year anniversary for AHIMA, and I think it's wonderful to be part of this dynamic association during a time of expanding vision, influence, and growth. And in keeping with the AHIMA strategy, my vision for 2018 as President Chair of the Board is to ensure operational excellence a focus on our membership so that we can remain agile in order to meet the opportunities and challenges of this ever-changing healthcare environment, and also to ensure health information is secure and that it has integrity. Uh, With a sharper focus on our members, we will transition and transform HIM professionals for future roles by advancing education, competencies, and skills. Uh, And earlier this year, in January, we had our AHIMA strategic planning session, and we actually brought together all of our affiliate organizations to participate. Uh, Collaboration with our affiliate organizations such as um, KHEM, CCHEM, the Council for Excellence on Education, and AHIMA Foundation is a very important step in ensuring alignment. The International Federation of Health Information Management Association was also in attendance. And we reaffirmed AHIMA strategies and how these support our members to make the transformation into emerging roles. We all must be singing from the same song sheet to execute effective strategy and realize positive, effective outcomes. Operational excellence requires attention to internal operations of the association and how we support our membership through education, communication, and the development of future strategies to remain a leader in the healthcare industry. To meet this challenge, I'm excited to announce our new CEO, Dr. Walisa Wiggs-Harris, who started on AHIMA on February the 5th. She's a transformational leader who has experience leading associations um, and also initiating tra- change and growth and strengthening our membership and develop a business relationship with HIM profession and AHIMA. She has a proven record of creating strong leadership teams and employee culture. We've identified strategies to improve transparency, collaboration, and communication between AHIMA and its affiliates and the membership at large. A part of transformation is gaining new skills and using that knowledge to improve performance. My main goal for 2018 is to ensure that our members not our members feel supported by HEMA through our advocacy for the profession and the educational opportunities that we provide. But we are inspired to continue to grow in our knowledge and lead the healthcare community at this time of great transformation. I know that change can be challenging, and on behalf of the HEMA Board of Directors, I want to thank our members for their continued support and commitment during this transition. I see a very bright future as our members are poised to lead and influence change. I promise you we have great things ahead of us. Thank you, Diane. That was Diane Smith, the Vice President of HIM Services and Clinical Documentation Improvement at Texas Health Resources in Arlington, Texas. 
And all of the members appreciate all the hard work that you and the board are doing this year. So thank you so much, Diane. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Bonnie. And Diane, thanks very much for sharing your vision with us. February, as we said at the top of the broadcast, is American Heart Month, and in recognition of this national focus, our lead story this morning is how coding for myocardial infarction is being impacted by changes in 2018. And joining the broadcast is our special guest, is author and educator, Terry Fletcher. Good morning, Terry. Welcome to Talk to Tuesday. A lot to report today. Good morning, Chuck, and thank you for inviting me to participate for the first time in Talk 10 Tuesday. It's great to be here. The 2018 ICD-10 CM changes for cardiology had great impact on physicians and coders alike as we focus on heart month in February. For cardiology, the focus of ICD-10 is generally on increased specificity and documenting the downstream effects of the patient's condition. One common condition for the cardiology specialty is acute myocardial infarctions, which is the medical name for a heart attack. A heart attack is a life-threatening condition that occurs when blood flow to the heart muscle is abruptly cut off, causing tissue damage. Myocardial infarction, or what is more commonly referred to as an MI or an acute MI, had codes added for 2018 to give five types of MIs and more than enough options for physicians and coders to consider when reporting the MI encounter for a patient. For example, myocardial infarction MI type 2, I21.A1, and other myocardial infarction type I21.A9 will mean coders will need to take into consideration the type of MI the patient is having before code selection. A type 2 MI describes a myocardial infarction due to demand ischemia. In addition, notes added under ST elevation MI codes, I21.0 to I21.4, clarify that this condition is a type 1 MI. ICD-10 further listed additional types of MIs as type 1 through 5 for clarification of the encounter. So going through those, the five types of uh, myocardial infarctions are type 1, spontaneous myocardial infarction, a clinical event typically caused by rupture of erosion, of an atherosclerotic plaque resulting of thrombus of the formation, and one or more of the coronary arteries. This is the prototypic heart attack, so both ST elevation MI, STEMI, and non-STEMI elevation are type 1. Type 2, MI secondary to ischemic imbalance, myocardial demand exceeding supply, so a condition other than coronary artery disease results in the imbalance. Treatment guidelines will be different for type 2 than from those from type 1. Type 3, the patient presents with death having had symptoms or signs suggestive of myocardial ischemia, chest pain, or ECG changes, but without confirmatory cardiac biomarkers. So typically you may see this as DOA at the hospital without further workup or pending further information. Both type 4 and 5, these types are associated with revascularization procedures. So type 4 MI is associated with percutaneous intervention, PCI, or stent implantation or angioplasty. Type 5 MI is associated with placement of a coronary artery bypass graft. So in a review of these different types of MIs, for example, when a patient is diagnosed with type 2 myocardial infarction due to demand ischemia or secondary to ischemic imbalance, you should report the new code I21.A1 for MI type 2 and include a code for the underlying cause as the guideline state. Do not assign a code I24.8, other forms of acute ischemic heart disease, for the demand ischemia, which is also in the ICD-10 instructions. Also note that type 2 does not need an artery site specification because that is not relevant to the code selection. Its significance is that it imparts a more serious prognosis to the causative underlying condition. Coders sometimes disregard the type 2 MI verbiage and only code the due to demand ischemia with I24.8, which is not correct, because, again, it does not capture the patient's severity of illness or the complexity. For diagnoses of myocardial infarction types 3, 4A, 4B, 4C, and 5, 
the guidelines instruct coders to report I21.A9, other myocardial infarction type. In addition, make sure to follow the code also and code first notations related to complications and for coding of post-procedural myocardial infarctions during or following cardiac surgery. Will these new classifications of MIs have any effect on reimbursement? We'll not fully be able to answer that question until the payers give us feedback in the form of LCDs, the local coverage determinations, and policy addendums. However, I would recommend that when a type 4 or 5 MI diagnosis is reported, meaning the patient's MI is related to a therapeutic procedure, such as a stent, angioplasty, or even a cardiac surgery, that coders and billers monitor their EOBs and insurance company transmittals for any denials or requests for additional information. Many payers have specific reimbursement guidelines when a scheduled or planned procedure has a causal relationship to a diagnosis that could be considered a complication. Also recommending you spot check your physicians if they are the ones coding. You want to be as specific as possible and consistent with the facility as well, especially on outpatient, if there's a submitted code for the encounter that may not be consistent. The best way to avoid denials is to code accurately and with the most specificity as possible, but you're only as good as what you get, so make sure you're heads up on that. So happy Valentine's Day to all, and again, try to stick to dark chocolate in the spirit of Heart Month. Bonnie, back to you. Thank you so much, Terry. And with all of our speakers, you can listen to replay all of this information. So much information is so valuable. That was author, educator, and consultant Terry Fletcher. Chuck? Thanks, Bonnie, very much. And Terry, thanks again for a great uh, segment this morning. Terry is the author of several coding and reimbursement publications, and you can read Terry's excellent article on coding for myocardial infarction in today's edition of the ICD-10 Monitor E-News, and what Bonnie said, yes, we do indeed record these programs, and we make them available so you can listen all day, any day, 24 hours a day on our website. Now, let's take a look, uh, Bonnie, at some of the questions that come in. We've got a question from Kyle. Yes, my coding director tells me that no diagnosis can be captured from the ER documentation. It can be used for a basis for a query. Would you agree with this? I'll uh, chime in here if that's okay. Sure. Um, okay, Please this do. is Terry Fletcher. Um, actually, I'm going to take it a step back. I would agree with the if it is a, a sign or symptom, but if there's a definitive diagnosis that's coming from the ER, I think you can run with that as long as it's well documented and well supported. But my question would be back to Kyle is that are you coding for an ER physician or are you pulling that for your own physician and trying to find a diagnosis that maybe you didn't have from something you're coding? So I think a little bit more clarification is needed on that question. Bonnie, there's a question from Sheila for Terry as well. Right. I sent this question in to CC months ago, but can you advise if type 1 is the only MI that a coder will report as an acute for four weeks? CC is my coding corner question. It also could be your, um, what you guys are doing as well there. Uh, so we offer some information as far as being able to ask questions all the time. Um, from what I'm le- learning on the type 1 and also the acute, if it is specified as type 1 now, this is 2018 information, because now you have five types to choose from, and an acute, STEMI, or non-STEMI, then yes, that is an accurate statement. However, you're still going to um, possibly have a different type, which could still fall in that four weeks uh, area. So for right now, I'm not seeing that as that's, you know, an end-all, you know, blanket black-and-white statement. So really look at first uh, what is the type before you get into the uh, actual how long it's been uh, NMI at that point. Okay. Bonnie, thanks. And Terry, thanks for answering those uh, questions, and we appreciate it very much. 
I want to tell you about the HCC webcast coming up with Rose Dunn. That's coming up on February the 21st. And, of course, we encourage you to register now for this very important, very timely webcast. That's going to be a wrap for this edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Special thanks to Bonnie Cassidy for sitting in today, as she did last Tuesday for Dr. Eric Reamer, who has been on vacation. Dr. Reamer returns next week. Thank you, Bonnie, for bringing together our people who were on our program today, notably Charlotte Barrett and, of course, Rose Dunn and Diane Smith. And we look forward to your being right back here next Tuesday for another edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Thanks, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.